This is Famous and Gravy, a quest for the secret sauce to life, one dead celebrity at a time. Now for the opening quiz to reveal today's dead celebrity. This person died 2017, age 61. When he was eight, he and his brother Bob were taken by their father to see President John F. Kennedy on the morning of November 22, 1963, in Fort Worth, hours before his assassination in Dallas. Gosh, I'm a Fort Worth guy. I should know this. It's going to be a politician. I'm going to say Bob Dole. Not Bob Dole. He was described as good-natured in assessing his status in Hollywood. In a 1998 interview, he said, quote, I haven't had a role that's propelled me into major stardom. Sure, I've had roles that put me on the playing field, a lot of base hits, no home runs. Ooh, Ray Liotta. Not Ray Liotta. In 2012, he was nominated for an Emmy Award for playing Randolph McCoy in the three-part miniseries Hatfields and McCoys, which aired on the History Channel. I don't know! (laughs) No, I've never heard of this. From 2006 to 2011, he played the lead role of Bill Henriksen on the HBO show Big Love, for which he received three Golden Globe nominations. Uh, Bill Pullman. So close, not Bill Pullman. Early in his career, he had small parts in The Terminator and Aliens, both directed by James Cameron. I got it. I got it. Bill Paxton. Oh, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. It's Bill Paxton. Today's dead celebrity is Bill Paxton. Good. Ready, man. Check it out. I am the ultimate badass. State of the badass art. You do not want to fuck with me. Check it out. Ready to get it on. Go! We're on express elevator to hell. Going down. One. March. Welcome to Famous and Gravy. I'm Michael Osborne. And I'm Amit Kapoor. We are midlife, give or take, and we believe that the best years might lie ahead. So on this show, we study a celebrity who died in the last 10 years. We go through a series of categories in search of ingredients to life that we might desire and ultimately ask a big question. Would I want that life? Today, Bill Paxton died 2017, age 61. Category one, grading the first line of their obituary. Bill Paxton, the affable actor who was a co-star in a string of 1990s blockbuster movies, including Twister, Titanic, and Apollo 13, and who later played the lead in the critically acclaimed television drama Big Love, has died. He was 61. Okay. I mean, pretty comprehensive of the career, I think. You think so? It's, I disagree with that, actually. What, what do you think it's missing career-wise? Career-wise, it's very, very, very hard to capture the breadth of Bill Paxton's career. And I think we'll get to that more in later categories. I mean, they do list some very, very big movies here. Twister was a box office sensation. He was the lead. Titanic, you know, at that point, the highest grossing of all time. And Apollo 13 both a blockbuster and critically acclaimed. So I do sort of like that selection of those three movies. I also think that the nod to Big Love is really important. I think that that was a lead show during an important moment in TV history. 
I mean, it's hard, right? Because he died young, so you don't want to say like long and storied career. At the same time, his career goes back. It's pretty quite long and storied. Yes. Yeah, it's long and storied for somebody who's died young. So first of all, he's sixty-one and died suddenly. So this is not one of those obits that was written ahead of time. Like this was. Yeah, a, there's no way. This was a job on deadline, right? So I'm I'm wanting to offer a little bit of leeway here. But it doesn't get at the longevity. It misses a kind of like cult-like status he has too, I think. I mean, I can sense that you're troubled by something. It's in your eyes. It's very like bad <laughs> dreams. There's something that's that's underneath. Like It is bad dreams. I'm going to go to bed tonight. They didn't do you justice, Bill. I mean, I almost, affable actor. I guess I, I really want to hone affable in on that. Affable co-star, I think. Yeah, well, yes, thank you, co-star. I'm glad you pointed that out. It almost seems like it was important for them to get the word co-star in there. Totally. Like he's, for the most part, not a leading man. Not even for the most part. I think it's unquestionable. Twister right. as an exception, but nobody at all considers him a leading actor. Totally. I mean, I think he's he's a cameo kind of guy. He's a co-star kind of guy. He is a part of a crew kind of guy. Like he's part of the mix. There's something that just doesn't capture the breadth and longevity for me. Like how many places he showed up, how ever present he was, how ubiquitous would not have been a bad word to use for me. I don't know, um, man. I don't agree. Not the job of the first line. You know, the first line as we've discussed is what do you know this person for? Yeah, but here's the thing though. I actually think that a lot of people who know him know him for weird science and aliens as much as Apollo 13 and Titanic. Correct. Because it looks like I'm looking at the, at the filmography, like you did a lot of little bits here and there. I know you got to ask me about one film. Which one? The one that I, to this day, if I do a thousand movies, will be at the top of my obituary. What is it? Weird Science. <laughs> <laughs> the nod to those like cult classics and those scene stealing moments, I, that's what's kind of missing for me. There's a unique quality that I think is very hard to put your finger on that goes beyond the word affable that's not quite captured here. And I mean, I do think that it is not simple to answer the question, what's the one thing you know Bill Paxton from? Because you know him from 18 things, if you know him at all. Yeah. So I'll side with you on this, and I think part of the problem is the 90s blockbusters, even though they talked about big love. But the weird science and the aliens are much of what he is loved for. Those smaller, very quotable roles. How about a nice, greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray? You looked at that, and who is that guy? And so, I yes, I think you put it well. The bracketing of 90s and then Big Love, which is the 2000s, sort of narrows his longevity. That's my main gripe with it. Before we move on, affable. I mean, is that doing him justice? What's your take on the word affable here? I think so. It resonates with me. A lot of him in his speeches and interviews reminds me of Matthew McConaughey, who I would absolutely describe as affable. And that's why I think that that's, that's a great Bill Paxton word. So you know what? I, I agree it is, but I had to get there a little bit with that word. My first memory of Bill Paxton is absolutely as Chet in Weird Science. Without and I a doubt. cannot tell you how much he reminded me of so many dickhead older brothers that I knew growing up. And you kind of even see it a little bit in Aliens as well. I mean, he's got the kind of, you know, dare me to do a jockish asshole bullshit, you know, machismo that like 
is the opposite of affable. So affable is describing him. That's describing the man, Bill Paxton, that we see off screen. The vast majority of the characters are the, as far from affable as possible. That's interesting. Usually when they say the, the blank actor, when they have an adjective, like when they say the affable actor, I interpreted that to be like he took on affable roles. You're taking it, he's an affable man. Yes. Yeah. I like the word. I think it's appropriate. And I think it probably needs to rise to the top of the list as something you would use to describe him. Because it is the one real important adjective in this whole first line. I got the sense that this man was truly beloved in the Hollywood community. You saw people saying things. I was thinking about this thing that I actually witnessed Bill Paxton do, Mm -hmm. which was... We go to see Val Kilmer in this play, and we we get in and we're taking our seats, and all of a sudden someone taps me on the shoulder, and it's Bill Paxton. Mm -hmm. Bill Paxton's like, hey man, how's it going? I'm like, hey, it's really good. And then I say, I just gotta tell you uh, how much I love Tombstone, what an amazing movie Tombstone is, and I say, I have to tell you, that's my uh, mind producer over there, Jason Chalemi, who's been with me since he was like a kid, since he was like 18, and Tombstone is one of his favorite movies. And Bill Paxton went, which, which guy is he? Which guy is he? And I said, right there, Jason. He says, his name's Jason? Yeah. And he goes over, he walks over to Jason. He goes, hey, Jason. And he starts whispering in Jason's ear. Jason has a beard and it almost falls off. And his <laughs> eyes get big as quarters. And he's like, and he's doing this for a while. And then he walked away. And I'm like, what the hell did he say to Jason? I go over to Jason. And Jason's not a famous guy or anything. Mm-hmm. And he spent quite a while with him. And he said, he just leaned over and he recited to me quietly all of his lines from Tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> who does that? Who, who does that? Yeah. Nobody does that. And I, and I think it was more than just a tragedy. I think there was <laughs> big love yeah. around it. And him I think that's part of the way. discussion that we need to get into. And I think a lot of that is the co-star and the second man status. You're a yeah. lot more likely to be loved and have that affection shown around you, I think, when you're not on the highest pedestal. Yeah, yeah, I think there's something to that. Okay, well, all right, I think I have my score. Okay, you go first. I'm going to give it an eight. I think it's basically pretty good. I do feel like there's a little bit of short shrift to his cult status and some of the things that you would know him for. For the people who are going to take a real interest in this obituary, I feel like there's not quite enough. Overall, pretty damn good. This was hard one on deadline. I'll give you a little more grace, but it's missing some things for me. Okay, I'm also going an eight, but mine's like a positive eight. And so I'm like, <laughs> right. I thought you were going to go much lower. Like, I, I think it's an eight because it's quite good and quite comprehensive. I do agree. You did talk me into the early cult roles in Weird Science yeah. and Aliens, which is, I think, what a lot of people, even those reading this obituary, know him for first. And then the confusion of just like the only reference to the man himself was affable. And I don't know that that belongs in the summary of his career in the first line. You're either going to yeah. hit a lot on the, the personal life or you hit on none of it. I, I don't like this kind of weird single word nod. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on? Yes. All right. Category two, five things I love about you. Here, Amit and I come up with five reasons why we love this person, why we want to be talking about them in the first place. I've got one I'd like to lead with that I think is a really good segue. This may even be a possible title. I don't know. I wrote IMDB MVP. Ooh. Here's the thought experiment I want to put to you. So it's a desert island thought experiment. You're about to get banished to a desert island, and you can choose one actor, only one, or actress, where you get access to their entire catalog. 
and that's all you get. Their whole catalog, everything they've ever done that was on the big or small screen is yours on this desert island. Who do you choose? I don't think you would choose a strong leading man or woman. I don't think you want Jack Nicholson or Meryl Streep or Denzel or Pacino, anything like that, because I think you would, those movies are about those people and you'd kind of sour on them. So you're looking for range. You're probably looking for a character actor and you're looking for somebody who's prolific. So they've been in a bunch of things, in particular, a bunch of rewatchable things. Now, I'm not going to read the whole IMDb here, but let me just put tell you how I tried to categorize this. Okay. So in the sci-fi action domain, there's some obvious things. You get Terminator, Aliens, Predator 2, and I'll even throw in True Lies in there. Bill Paxton is the only person who went up against the Terminator, the Predator, and the Alien. Yes. Uh, which is a pretty nice trifecta. In comedy, you get Club Dread, which is Broken Lizard, they're Super Trooper guys. That is such an underrated, hilarious movie. You also get Weird Science and Stripes, the Bill Murray movie. In drama, you get A Simple Plan, which was awesome, Titanic, Apollo 13, and Twister, if you want to throw it. You also get Westerns, Tombstone, Hatfield and McCoys. You get horrors. He was in Tales from the Crypt and Near Dark. You get TV shows, Big Love, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., who was also in Miami Vice, The Hitchhiker, and Frasier. And you get all kinds of weird cult movies from the 70s and the Roger Corman stuff. And like, on top of everything, you get music videos. Martini Ranch, which we get to talk about later. That was yeah. his thing. Pat Benatar, Limp Biscuit, that Fishhead song also will come up later, and New Order. Yeah. What a fucking unbelievable IMDb. This is just a sampling of it. I think you did miss one important category, which is sports. He was in Million Dollar Arm, and he directed The Greatest Game Ever Played. I'm adding yes. to your breath. Like, I, I defy you to come up with a more interesting IMDb for an actor. I think you can enjoy all of this without ever exactly souring on Bill Paxton. I think he's got arguably the greatest IMDb of all time. Ergo, IMDb MVP. Okay, and the love factor in all of this is just you like the breadth? I guess it's like the willingness, but also the opportunity. I mean, he's just saying yes to so many things. But he's also like, with all of them, I mean, nothing's half-assed with Bill Paxton, right? Like, it's all in on all of these things so much that he becomes, you know, very much in demand for a wide range of projects. I love it for, like, great body of work. It's that simple. Look, if we're talking to Famous and Gravy Desirability, you know, I want to be on my deathbed looking at whatever work I put out and say, you know, look at this list. Isn't What a great list. Yeah, and it's a great yeah. non-linear list. Like, it's very open. And with that, you get this beautiful catalog that you want to be stranded on a desert island with. I mean, wouldn't you also, like, want to just have that conversation with somebody with this breadth of work at a cocktail party? Where, you know, you don't have to talk about everything you've ever done, but but it gives you a menu of things to talk about. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be wide-ranging in my interests and in my activities. Which is why we have a category for that, Michael. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Okay, I like it. I And I saw the passion in you. As, as you. you said that. Um, I couldn't wait to give you that one. All right, what do you okay. got for number two? Uh, number two, not jaded. 
And mm. so that goes, I think a lot of that is afforded because he was this co-star who was everywhere. But giving interviews throughout, he's the every guy, and he always was. There's no mask to him. Yeah. And he yeah. still, he was described as somebody that, like, every time he was on a role, it's like his first role ever. He just loves it. He just, like, cannot yeah. believe that he's an, an actor, a professional actor with Tom Hanks and James Cameron. Like, it's all always new to him. And I don't think we've come across anybody here now in 51 episodes that didn't experience some degree of jadedness or some fall from the high. You look fantastic. How do you do it? I need your secrets. It's all smoke and mirrors. (laughs) That's what's wonderful about our business, isn't it? Really? <laughs> it's a grand illusion. It's no, you look fantastic. Every time you're in a film, you look different. I, I've always, I got got into this business because I love the idea of, uh, you know, putting a pirate's patch on or playing different roles. And, and for me, they're just kind of a lot of alter egos, these different characters that I've been able to play. You know, I love to change how I look. So I, I'm getting ready to do another picture if I'm playing an astronaut. I don't work for another two months in, in this movie, but I wanted to cut my hair and I wanted to get myself kind of looking like I think one of these astronauts would have looked. I think there was also this, which is very interesting that I noticed about him that was very different from other people, actors and musicians especially, is he was not afraid to go back and quote the earlier works. If he's mm. in an interview and they're like, oh, do the weird science line or the the aliens line, and even if this is the year like 2012. Game over, man. Yeah, yeah oh, he's yeah, still yeah. willing to do that. That is yeah, not common. Yeah. And like, I mean, like Will Smith is not going around like re-singing Parents Just Don't Understand. Right. And the whole ride seems to be a joy and he, he loves reliving it. And yeah. the last clue I saw is, this was an interview, I think, when he was on Mark Maron. He's telling a story um, very subtly about like Tom Hanks. And they were mm-hmm. about to do a documentary together. And he was like, yeah, I just gave Tom Hanks uh, an award at the People's Choice Award last night. But he giggles when he says that. Like, can you believe it's me that I'm... I'm the guy yeah. that gets to give the award. I, there was no jade evident in him, which I think is extremely hard to achieve in a level of success in show business at that degree of wealth and visibility. I couldn't agree more. He is so happy to be there, and it is decidedly desirable. Yeah, and I like your wording of happy to be there, because when I say not jaded, it's it's a little bit of just undoing a negative. But what you're yeah. saying explicitly is he's happy to be there. Yeah, fucking I. So there we go. Number two, happy to be there. This segues pretty well to my number three, and I think that it's an outgrowth of your number two. I wrote welcoming. I think he's got like a welcome come on in vibe. I don't think he is just affable. Like he sees what he is doing as fundamentally collaborative and that he is willing to take center stage and attempt to be the lead man or scene steal, but that he also is like teeing everybody up around him for success and giving spotlight and love to the cast and crew. I mean, and that same WTF episode, he talks about, you know, set designers, right? And he's like, I feel like all I am as an actor sometimes is the last part in a set design. There's something about him that I do think is, you know, we're in this room, we belong, that I think is a really important energy to bring to creative collaborations. So I love that about him. Yeah, there's kind of a non-striving aspect to that, almost a Zen quality. Happy to lift each other up. I don't have to be on the top of the roster. I mean, there's ego, but the ego's in check. With him, there's an honest recognition of, I'm going to be on the screen with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's the more important figure 
on this stage right now. But there are other moments where I'll get my shot, and that's fine. And let's all buy into that vision, you yeah. know? Do you remember who we talked about? Because that came up once before where we said he's a very proud number two, he or she. I don't remember who we talked about. Yeah, I, I mean, when Bob Einstein? It might have been oh. Alan Rickman, actually. That feels true. I know it was not Margaret Thatcher. Um. <laughs> no, we know definitely not Margaret Thatcher, definitely not Muhammad Ali. Anyway, all right. You want to take number four? Yes. Okay, I'm going to okay. go ahead and call this one weird science uh, <sighs> because it's not weird science, but it is weird yeah. science. So two things I want to point to. One is fish heads. The other is twister. Uh, so fish heads, I think we may have to introduce the audience to this a little bit. This was a really obscure kind of parody song in the late 70s, early 80s that Bill Paxton early on in his film career, really before he was even acting in like barely cameo parts, he made little short films. And one of the things he made was the music video for this song, Fish Heads, which was from a band called Barnes and & Barnes. And it was completely... Bizarre. It even debuted on Saturday Night Live in like in their, 1980. Yeah, yeah, in their kind of lost lowest rated season ever, where they're just throwing stuff out. But then right. it was picked up by Doctor Demento, this yes. radio jock who also had a TV show, I believe. It showed up a lot in the early to mid 80s on these like Doctor Demento shows and even on MTV. And I remember my brother and I loved it. Like yes. we like VCR taped this video and watched it over and over again because it was just so weird. And and so yeah. weird that it was funny. And I think with that introduction to me personally and possibly to my brother who was two years older was like, weird is kind of cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to describe just how weird this thing is. Ask a fish head anything you want to. They won't answer. They can't talk. What is this? It, I mean, it's it's hard to Monty Python esque in a way. I don't know, but it does appeal to children in, in a funny way. And we yeah. should say Paxton both started it and directed it. This is correct, and we'll put the video in the show notes. But what it did to me is saying, you know, weird is okay. Weird is actually kind of cool, and weird is, can be funny. You know, it yeah. sort of introduced weirdness, I think, to a whole generation as being kind of cool. And I like that yeah. about what Bill Paxton did in the directing of that movie so early in his career. But then he comes back and does it again, one more time. And this is something I just learned about. When Twister came out, it was a big success. And storm chasing, if you picture people that are storm chasing hobbyists, they are often known as like kind of weirdos, basement dweller type of things to just terribly stereotype it. However, I learned that that movie brought storm chasing into the mainstream because Bill Paxson was not like this fringe Figure. weird yeah. science guy, right? Yeah. He was just a guy that had a passion and followed that. And the twister effect is that, and so this is actually a recorded statistic. This is according to a man named John Knox, who is a coordinator for the Atmospheric Sciences Program at the University of Georgia. And he said from 1990 to the late 2000s, the number of bachelor degree recipients in the atmospheric sciences in the U.S. doubled. Wow. Weird science. Did you see that thing about uh, what the storm chasers did when Bill Paxton died? Yes, they formed his initials with on on the map with that span Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tornado Alley, right? And, yeah. and so there was a BP on the GPS display honoring his death. I thought that was incredible. Like yeah. what if that that's awesome. 
Yeah, so there I am. He made weird science cool. Yeah. Well done. I love that number four. I feel pretty strongly that I want you to take number five, Ahmed. You take number five. Okay, mine's pretty simple. Natural overcusser. Yes, goddammit! Yes! Uh, he was a great cusser. Who did you, you gave somebody else this? I think Trebek dropped F-bombs all over the fucking Alex place. Alex Trebek was our second great uh, overcusser. Yeah. And Bill Paxton did it in his roles and he did a lot in his interviews, but it yeah. came across so naturally. It was so a part of him, but I think this is so part of the unnatural affability that we love about Bill Paxton. And it's this whole status thing with being the co-star and being the one that lifts everyone up. He's just so accessible. And I think it comes through in language, and I'm sorry that it's coming through in four-letter words, but that's how it's coming through. Well, and I, don't I, know. I, I like yeah, it. Yeah. I like it as a gateway to accessibility. And I think we've talked about the strength of casual cussing. Um, I need to tell you a story. I have these friends, uh, Ashley and Clinton, both friends married to each other, and they have like teenage daughters. And they say they want them to listen to our show, uh, but she was like, "But do you guys have to cuss so much? Like that's the oh, reason that's we funny. can't have our daughters listen to it." So it's very much a reflection of you and I. And I and I we said, "Yes, have. I think I think we do," uh, which also. <laughs> It reminds me of the line from the Big Lebowski when, like, Sam Elliott turns to uh, <laughs> the, the dude. dude and he's like, You have to use so many cuss words. The fuck are you talking about? It all reminds me of that. But yes, natural overcuster. Fucking A. That's just fucking great, man. Now, what the fuck are we supposed to do? We're some real pretty shit now, man. You finished? All right, so let's recap. Number one, I had IMDB MVP. Number two, I said not jaded. You gave it a better phrase, which was happy to be here. Happy to be here. Number three, I said welcoming. He's got a welcome, come on in vibe. Number four. I said weird science, making the fringe cool. And number five. Natural overcusser. Okay. Category three. Malkovich, Malkovich. This category is named after the movie being John Malkovich, in which people can take a little portal into John Malkovich's mind and they can have a front row seat to his experiences. Okay, this is in 2003. He appears in a Limp Biscuit video. The song is called Eat You Alive. You're going to love this. It is not a good song. It is not a good video, I think, by any standards. I think this is a real low point in his career. Twister was a box office success, but it did not solidify him as a leading man. Far from it. The next movie he did after that was Evening Star, which is a a sequel to Terms of Endearment. Shout out to Larry McMurtry. Then he did a movie with Mark Wahlberg called The Traveler that I never even heard of. The Limp Biscuit song flopped, the video flopped, and then the next thing he does after that is Club Dread, where he plays Coconut Pete. Have you seen Club Dread, Amit? No, but I'm inspired to watch it after listening to all these interviews. Coconut Pete has a song called Pina Colada Berg. Oh, God, <laughs> it's, it's so good. Ponytail will get you tail. Just keep it out of my my time. Your cocktails will never fail. That day. You and your chiquita sky high. Play Margaritaville. I love that song. Darling, I think you're referring to my song, Pina Colada Burke. The song I wrote seven and a half fucking years before Margaritaville was even on the map. I don't need to shit. Come on, man. Fuck that guy. The reason I hone in on it is not any comment on Lip Biscuit or being in music videos. I think that 
there's a sort of like, it's never clear, did I make it and have I made it? Is it done? Am I going to be secure as an actor for the rest of my life? I think every actor has this like fear that one day it's all just going to go away. Paxton had, you know, in that quote that's in the quiz, he talks about a lot of opportunities, a lot of base hits, no home runs. You would have thought Twister might have been a home run or a simple plan might have been a home run. And they were critically acclaimed and he was praised, but yet, you know, he doesn't become Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or Jack Nicholson or any other like firmly rooted leading man. And so when he's doing this video in 2003, I'm wondering about the insecurity. I'm wondering about the self-doubt. I'm wondering, like, what the fuck am I doing in this video? I'm not even sure I like this song. And am I going to be able to continue to find work or not? I chose this moment amongst the whole catalog because it seemed to stand out as a low point. I wonder about that with him. I want to know, from a Malkovich point of view, how present that question is and was in his mind. Yeah. But what's the lesson here, Michael? So we know, like, we we have the benefit of a complete life that his career relaunched. So yeah. you want to look and you want to feel the insecurity, but is it that, is the lesson just power through it? Believe in yourself? I don't know that there is a lesson. I think it's a curiosity question. I don't think I have a conclusion yet. In fact, I think I wanted to raise this as a Malkovich because it's the thing I want you and I to, like, explore a little bit in this episode. You know, that that those questions, I want to know how present that fear was and how he dealt with that. This is a snapshot of that, but it's a bigger question I have about his career overall. I, yeah, I don't it, know. I, I just wonder how he dealt with that question. Yeah, totally. I That's I, it. I see the point. It's just an interesting thing to, to think about when you know how it ended. It's all about self-confidence and is it inevitable, I think, is the question I'm after. I, I, I want to know if he ever... Yes, yes. You know, I, think that's, I think that's the true highlight of your point. I think it is inevitable. Yes. Everybody's going to go through it. Fear is inevitable. What a weird place for that to be manifesting in a Limp Biscuit video. All right, you're okay. Malkovich. My Malkovich. Are you familiar with the movie Avatar, Michael? Of course. Okay. <laughs> Are you aware it was directed by James Cameron? I am. And you're aware that James Cameron and Bill Paxton are very, very close friends. I am. So uh, they're buddies. They hang out with each other's families. They go on trips. They're both big scuba divers. Anyway, at some point in the early 2000s, James Cameron calls up Bill Paxton and says, hey, what are you doing? And can you come over to my house at 7 tonight? And actually, from what I understand about James Cameron, he doesn't even say that. He's like, what are you doing? Come over to my house at 7. Or he'll say, like, what are you doing? I'm going to pick you up in 20 minutes. I like that. Yeah. So in, yeah, in the yeah. <laughs> far future James Cameron episode, that may come up. So anyway, yeah. Paxton goes over there and James Cameron says, I've got these two scripts that I'm deciding which to make. And they're both very very good scripts. I've done a lot of R&D on it. They're both going to be heavy investments. One of them is this nod to some like Japanese action movie, and the other is Avatar. And so he asked Bill Paxton to read through both scripts and give him his opinion. So Bill Paxton says, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty slow reader. This is going to take a while, Jim. And he's like, it's fine, do it. So he reads through all the scripts, goes to Cameron and says, I think you should make this Avatar movie. It's much more you. Make this one. And so he did. And end of discussion, they never really talked about it again. And so then Avatar goes on and becomes the top grossing movie of all time. 
Paxson goes on Jimmy Kimmel soon after Avatar is around to promote another movie, probably as a big love. He probably goes on as his big love promotion. And he tells this story about Avatar, and he was like, you know, like I'm, I'm really responsible for why that movie got made, or I'm partly responsible. And he was like, you know, you think James Cameron would have like at least sent me a set of golf clubs or something like that. <laughs> and so he says that, thinks nothing of it, leaves the studio, goes back home a few days later, there is a package at his house with a set of golf clubs from James Cameron, <laughs> uh, which is beautiful. And yeah, is beautiful. this is the Malkovich that I love about it. It's that moment when things have happened in the past that are unspoken, that people never acknowledge, and that they get spoken through much later on through a gesture. I think it's a fantastic miracle of, of human life that that those unspoken things can culminate and come up much later. You know, like we've all had these things that we've known people or had colleagues that we really helped play a small role in something that came out tremendous, but we never get credit for it, right? And that's fine. Like most of us are at peace for it. But to yeah. get credit for it unexpectedly in the form of golf clubs and an acknowledgement of the fact that you didn't get credit for it I think it's uh, I think it's an explosion. I think it's a joy explosion. It's great, Malkovich. All right, let's take a break. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Michael, you know when we go to restaurants and I don't know what to order, then ultimately I'll just ask the server, well, what should I order next? Yeah. And I wish a similar thing existed for other things I consume, like like books. Did you say for books? For books. Oh, well, that's easy. If you go to Half Price Books, there are all kinds of people who work in the store who are excellent at recommending books. Have you ever done this? No, I've never known to ask them. I thought they were just... They are knowledge keepers. They are readers, and they are there to say, hey, how can I help you? What are you reading these days? What are you into? What are you looking for? 
I mean, every time I've gotten into a conversation with one of the Half Price Books employees, I've always walked out of there with something new that was excellent. So you're saying I can go ask a Half Price Books bookseller if I don't know what to read next or I'm looking for a gift idea? I think that's exactly right. You don't need to know what you're going to buy when you walk into Half Price Books. And if you just need a book, these people are there to help. And you know what? Half Price Books is the nation's largest new and used bookseller with 120 stores in 19 states. And Half Price Books is also online at hpb.com. Okay, category four, love and marriage. How many marriages? Also, how many kids? And is there anything public about these relationships? There are two marriages. Kelly Rowan, first wife, 1979. They divorced more or less within a year. Bill was about 24. The story I read is that her mother did not approve. They eloped. She was also from Texas. And then it just disintegrated. There wasn't a whole lot to say about it. The second marriage is the more important one, Louise Newberry. They met on a bus in London. There's a whole big romantic story about Bill Paxton saw her boarding a bus. They made eye contact. He decides to hop on the bus. This is in the early 80s, and he swept her off her feet. They were married in 1987. Bill was about 32 at this point. Two children, one of whom is acting now. Bill and Louise were together about 30 years until his death. His son was 23 when Bill died. His daughter was 20. What I saw about the marriage with Louise is that it looked happy, healthy, and beautiful, in the as I could tell. The story is beautiful. It's very cinematic. And it actually, it just, just hearing him talk about it and reading about it was... Kind of moving. Was, yeah, it was very moving and very heartwarming, just knowing that that can still happen. That does happen. Like seeing somebody on a bus and following them onto a bus, and that serendipity comes together... I think that's awesome. It's really, really moving. It also feels a little atypical for Hollywood. Like, in some ways, there is a kind of prototypical Hollywood life and career here. Given the kind of, I don't know, um, storybook version of a Hollywood life, you would also think that there would be, I don't know, a tumultuous personal life somewhere in there. And I'm sure there were ups and downs. But you don't see it in the marriage category. Not really. It looks like stability and, as you said, like romance. Yeah, well, you do see it in that there was one failed marriage. What I see in there is just fallibility. It's okay. Yeah. Like, there is fallibility. And I think one thing I've we've talked about that I've come through a lot in 51 episodes of this show is that, you know, people are fallible. You don't have to get yeah. it right the first time. It's nice to see somebody that's so beloved does have fallibility. I think that's very well said, actually. Yeah. I think that's very well said. So I do you want to say anything more? Yeah, you have one more thing on love and marriage. Yeah, so we call it love marriage, but it's also family, right? Yes. And we know we talk about kids a lot. What we don't often go into enough um, is parents. And yeah, there's a great Bill dad. Paxton. Hey, yeah. Yeah, so I love- I'm so I, glad you brought this up. I love yeah, the dad ahead. stuff. For one, his dad was a very instrumental part in encouraging him to go into acting and, and follow his career. But yeah. the better part of this story is his dad was in the lumber business. They did. They had this old family business in hardwoods. And at the age of 70, uh, his dad— yeah. yeah, and at the age of 70, his dad retired from that. And he tells Bill Paxton, he says, Bill, you know, I, I think I'm just going to get into your game. And Bill's like, what? He's like, I, I think I'm going to get into acting. And he's like, yeah. what? Getting into my game? What the hell are you talking about? He goes, yeah, I'm thinking about doing that acting yeah. thing. And I'm like, Dad, God, you're going into the golden years. You don't do this to yourself. He's in six movies. Sam Raimi put him in six of his films. 
Actually, what? more than that, Walter Hill put him in Last Man Standing. He's the old undertaker in that. Bruce Willis keeps giving him business because he keeps killing people. And uh, and he had a great kind of renaissance. I think it kind of kept him alive to 91 because he had something to do. I love the full circle of that. Yeah, I, I the, the way he described his relationship with his father was really cool. You sensed a real closeness and like source of inspiration for him. I think there's a lot here. We see a successful long marriage, which seems to be loving. We There was a first marriage. It just shows we are all fallible. Great family life. The intergenerational love of that family is really apparent. Overall, high marks for family. No question. I think so. Okay. Category five, net worth. I saw 25 million. 25 million. Higher than I thought. Lower than I thought. Really? For a co-star? Yeah, but of his Big stature. love, big money? Is that what you're thinking? I just think like how prolific in some of these movies. I mean, Titanic and Avatar alone are on the short list of biggest box office of all time. I also think my perspective on this has gotten a little screwy, that I was expecting north of 50 because, you know, despite the limp biscuit notwithstanding, there's not a lot of gaps in his IMDb. Like, he is always doing something. I think he's incredibly prolific. And I think each of these jobs comes with a pretty damn good paycheck. Yeah, I, it was higher than I expected. I guess I don't know what co-stars actually make, but I think my lesson here is that being a co-star is very lucrative. Category six? Yep. Category six, Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, or Halls of Fame. This category is a measure of how famous a person is. We include both guest appearances on SNL or The Simpsons as well as impersonations. Okay. In The Simpsons, season 12, episode nine, there is mention of a Paxton Pullman joke. It's only kind of funny. The Homer's in a movie theater. Ably played by Bill Paxton. It's Bill Pullman, you fool! Is this where I can go on a Bill Pax, Bill Pullman tangent? Did you find the Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman paradox website? No, I found an NPR show where they said how you can remember things. And it's how you can remember who is Bill Pullman and who is Bill Paxton. Maybe it was the same thing, because there's also some educational materials out there about this. So well, the point is, is that we are not alone. You are not alone. Uh, the most of the world confuses the two of them. Um, the difference is that uh, Pullman typically plays a very soft, he's even keeled, he's uh, fatherly in his roles. Paxton is more aggressive and more pushy uh, in his roles. Too, he's a fine goofball, but, but in your face a little bit yes, in his roles, yes, right? Yes, and so the yes. way to remember who is who is the Bill Pullman characters. Uh, he's more of a pull you closer to him. Uh, Bill Paxton is more of a push you uh, away. So it's the opposite. Oh, this is like a stalactites hang tight to the ceiling and stalagmites grow up from the mat on the floor. Yes, it's 100% yeah. that. <laughs> uh, but everyone, it's okay if you confuse the two. SNL, get this. Okay, so you mentioned the Fishhead videos, 1980. Bill Paxton hosted SNL in 1999. Wow. I thought you would be surprised by that. He did not have an Arsenio Hall appearance. However, the two of them are pictured together at the premiere of Independence Day in 1996, and he does have a Hollywood star, which he got in 2011. I think you and I, going into this, had disagreements about just how famous Bill Paxton was. You said to me off microphone, 
well, this may be the least recognizable celebrity we've yet done on Famous and Gravy. And I said, are you fucking kidding me? Correct. Uh, uh, it's I, in a text message. I, I think that Bill Paxton is actually a really great litmus test for how much of a movie buff you are. Certainly growing up, I always considered him in a, in a high, high category of fame. Although he never does quite penetrate that A-plus lister. But these indicators to me are consistent with that, that he hosted SNL and that he has a Hollywood star tells me something about how famous I regarded him. But I don't. And this evidence is interesting, the hosting especially. And the $25 million also. But yeah, I still don't, even after doing all the research, I, I still don't perceive him as that famous in terms of name and face recognition. Well, uh, I think you're fair. I mean, there's no Bill Paxton, like, HBO documentary. I don't and think I don't there's think there will be, be one. one. Yeah, this might or, be the or a book. If there was, I might watch it, but I wonder what the point of that story would be. You can understand why some leading Hollywood figures are worthy of a biography in a book or in a movie or in a multi-part TV series or whatever. Why isn't Bill Paxton? What is absent in his story that makes him, you know, perhaps not worthy of that kind of in-depth biography. I think it's the fact that co-star was the fourth word in his obituary. I, I think it's as simple as that. To me, it looks like a sweet spot. What we're talking about is like, where does fame contribute in the totality of satisfaction or fulfillment? Like, this looks delightful to me. Are you familiar with that study about how much it sucks to win the silver? Yes. Like, that you'd rather win the bronze than the silver because... You can kind of figure this all out. If you win the bronze, you're happy to be there. And if you win the silver, you're Ooh, like, ah, close. I almost got the gold. Yeah. Uh, you know, I do see Paxton as more of a holding the silver medal or holding the bronze medal kind of figure. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, I think, the question, right? Well, I, think he's holding right the, I think he's holding the silver with the gratitude of the bronze. That is something to strive for. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay, let's go on. Category seven, over under. In this category, we look at the life expectancy for the year somebody was born, see if they beat the house odds, and as a measure of grace. So the life expectancy for a man born in the U.S. in 1955 is 66.7. Bill Paxton died at 61, so under by about five or six years. Unquestionably. Uh, unquestionably tragic? Yes. It was a complicated surgery from a childhood condition with rheumatic fever. Is that what it was? It was yes, something, there was some correct. heart surgery that he went in for. Then they performed emergency surgery the second day. Things got complicated. Ten days later, he has a stroke and dies the day before the Oscars. So I don't know if you saw this and in, in memorandum in the Oscars that year. Uh -huh. Like he was a late addition. And Jennifer Aniston mentions him by name before the actual film role. And because everybody's still so shocked uh, yeah. by the event. She wells up, too. Yeah, she wells up. <clears throat> Bill Paxton, beloved actor and friend who left us just yesterday. All were loved. <clears throat> Sorry. And all will be missed. So, yeah, unquestionably sad. It was a tragic death. I don't think there's a ton to say about that. Because we, we also had a, a man that didn't know he was dying. Like, it right. was a somewhat botched procedure. Yeah, routine or at least not high-risk surgery. And there was, I guess we should say, a, a malpractice suit that was settled out of court uh, about this for Bill Paxton. Anyway. Um, 
what so, so what I'm curious about is we we've got a guy that doesn't know he's dying for he doesn't think he's going to live to 66 and a half most likely he's going to live until probably his 80s or 90s in his mind most yeah. likely his dad made it to his 90s it sounded like his mom made it to an old age so he yeah, which is, yeah. you know, we, we use the life indicator. expectancy as a proxy, but we know what we're talking about. So yeah. the grace we have to look at in a kind of different way in that how was he aging before that? And I kind of got mixed signals because I saw these interviews where he was like, you know, I'm just kind of in this stage that I'm like, I don't know who wants me. You know, it's like I'm not, I can't play these like kind of badass character actors that are in these action adventures. I'm just, I'm playing the dad or the grandpa. And I don't know, it seems like he was kind of going through this miniature crisis of aging and who he was as an actor. I mean, my mind went to a different place, Ahmed. You and I have tried to talk on our show about how we deal with deaths that skew young. One question that comes up with me in it, young death like this is, okay, tragic, but is it like, I was going to say incomplete. I would have liked to see what Bill Paxton did next. And I I want him as an actor in my life showing up in unexpected places for the years to come. And certainly, Lord knows, I don't want to die that young. But there is also a kind of cosmic question of you know, was he robbed? Was it was this unjust? More so than the average bear or something. I don't know. You know, I, I I do think that because he had such gratitude and such a prolific, rich catalog, that it's hard to make the case that he was like gypped. I'm not trying to speak to tragedy so much as like incompleteness, given all other things. So I don't know. Do you have a reaction to that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I would have loved to have seen the third or fourth quarter because I think there there could have been a big turn. There could have been a move away from this co-star. I think he was robbed. Incomplete in the sense of did he do everything that he could have? You know, I have problems with the phrase of live every day as if it's your last. Uh, I don't think that quite works as practically. I mean, I think the better advice is just say yes. Yeah, say yes right, a lot more, right, which is what right. he did, and Amen. which is where where I'm giving him kudos and accolades of uh, life completed for as much as he knew. Yeah, I I think he said yes to a lot, and he took every opportunity he could throughout his life, and that's completion when you don't know when it's coming. Given that death is unpredictable, right? Yeah. And given that the end is always unknown. If there's an at least, you know. Yeah, right. That's a great way of putting it. I mean, it's an uncomfortable place to go, but I think that there is an at least. Yes, I think that's very well said. I like that phrase. I, I want to have an at least, you know, that I can rest my head on at the end, you know? Yeah. It's a good time for a break. Yeah, fucking I really sad though. All right. Let's take a break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Larry Bird. Alive. The rules are simple. Dead or alive. Correct. He's 66 years old. Shel Silverstein. Alive? I'm afraid the sidewalk has ended. No. Uh, okay. And ended in 1999. <laughs> oh, shoot. Really? That long ago? <laughs> yeah. Jonathan Goldsmith. 
Who's that? Played the Dos Equis, most interesting man in the world. Oh. Dead? He's still with us oh, at 84. Wow. I know. Good for him. Test your knowledge. Deadoraliveapp.com. Category eight. Let's get to the more introspective questions. First of these is man in the mirror. What did they think about their own reflection? I'm going to come right out of the gate and say, I don't know. I wrote, I think he liked it. He's very handsome, but he also kind of alternates between stud and goofball. And there's certainly an over-the-top exaggerated quality that does seem like it's part of the you know insecurity that comes with being an actor that I keep speaking to. Yeah. So I don't know. Where are you? What did you write? Where'd you come to? I came to a yes. Um, I agree with you. That it's he, not a slam dunk. Yeah. yeah, he's he's handsome, but he's also like to use your exact words, he's a goofball on screen yeah. a lot of the times. You know, he's not a sex symbol. He's got this gap in his teeth, which is very uncommon for like a man of his stature in Hollywood. Um, well, he's got a bit of a guffaw laugh too. You know, I mean, there's like there's a lot about him that's sort of goofy. He really does seem, he was in the movie Navy Seals. He seems like a Navy Seal in a way. Not because he's like uber capable, but he seems like he's in a pack of dudes. You know, yeah. he's definitely like a dude. He's also know? fit, but like subtly so. You right. know, like he may be able to kill you with one finger, but you just, yeah. you're not going to know until he does it. But to come back to the question of man in the mirror on on self-esteem, self-acceptance, all of those things point to, yes, I think he liked it. I think it is his face, it's his whole body, it's his demeanor, it is everything that allowed him to be your IMDb MVP. I think he's thankful for that. He still talked about how beautiful his wife is, and he can't believe that he has this. You know, I, I think there is so much gratitude built into him that he sees in the mirror the body and soul for which he is grateful. And this is a man that's not jaded, that was happy to be there. And that's my evidence for. You know what? I I, I agree with all of that. And I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna say yes to. I think yes to man in the mirror. Okay, category nine, outgoing message. Like men in the mirror, how do we think they felt about the sound of their own voice when they heard it on an answering machine? Also, would they have left it on an outgoing voicemail or uh, would they use the default setting? I think he loved his voice. I also think, and we haven't really talked about this much, like the Texan-ness of him. There's something very perfect about him being a Fort Worth guy yes. to me. And I think he's got like a great draw and I think he like enjoys talking. So I'll, overall, I think I think he's into his voice. I think he likes it. Yeah, I love his voice too. And you know, you and yeah. I are surrounded by Texan voices very frequently. Uh, but there's yeah. something about his that is particularly charming and soothing. I've always been pretty frugal out here, you know. But all of a sudden, one day going from there to you know living at the top of the hill, that'll mess your head up. I guess it will. I guess it will. Again, I've just never had that. This will be normal. It stinks. No, I'm not. I'm not normal. I'm obviously weird. Yes, you are. You're pretty normal. (laughs) Comparatively speaking, you're a nice guy. Look at this. His shoes are not even shine. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Don't look at those. The natural voice is likable. It's just very likable. You want to be his friend. So I think for that reason, uh, that's a yes. Like the sound of his own voice. A hundred percent. All right, category 10, regrets, public or private. What we really want to know is what, if anything, kept this person awake at night. I couldn't find anything on the public regrets. I have two in private. If you look at career opportunities as you amass a certain amount of political capital and you try and cash in at the right moment, 
you know, cash in, not necessarily in a financial way, but cash in and like the thing you really want to be doing. Is Twister the high mark? And if so, you know, was that the right one to cash in on? I don't know. I I, I look at the career and wonder, what's driving this guy? You know, like, is it, does he really want to win an Oscar? Does he really want to be the most financially successful? Does he want to be, and, and maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe he just wants a career, but I'm not sure it's like that directed. And I wonder a little bit. So that's that's my speculative re- regret. Yeah, it's funny because it's one of the things that we talk about that we that we like about him is the apparent non-striving. Um, but yeah. we, you have to also the, question is was what was suppressed there? The seeming ease, uh, you know, is it looks appealing, but I'm, I wonder how real that is. I just don't believe. You know, I think it's all an illusion. Yep. The other regret I have was much darker, and maybe we don't even have to go there, but I do wonder uh, about seeing a better doctor for his heart condition. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. it. It, it was a lawsuit that resulted in a million-dollar award to the family. I don't think that it was for the money, but it was a wrongful death. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's such a nightmare. All right, I'm going to pose a dark question, and maybe we use this, maybe we don't. I don't know. I don't know how much pain he's in those last 10 days. But we know he lasts about 10 days from the initial surgery till he has a stroke. Mm-hmm. Is that enough time to make peace? I don't know. People sometimes tell you, you know, go through an experiment of like, what if you had a year to live? That's almost too much time. 10 days. I don't know. Is, is, is that a haunting, terrifying thought to you? If I was told I had 10 days to live, um, it's haunting and terrifying to me in a way, but I do feel like anybody I need to connect with, 10 days feels like enough time to say the things unsaid. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, I may, I, man, you, I don't know if we have But to I don't know if you can come this, to peace but, with the missed opportunity and the things that, you know, you can come to that inner peace to say the things unsaid and say the things to the people that are meaningful or the people that, that, um, you know, you need to make peace with. But I don't know that that alleviates what you are going to miss out on. No, of course. But this is our fucked up relationship with death overall, is that we have this expectation, I think, that we are supposed to do certain things, that we are entitled to certain opportunities in life, missed opportunities, that we've been robbed, right? And I, to me, honestly, this is one of the bigger things hanging over Bill Paxton's life in terms of desirability. There is a lot to like here. There's a life of gratitude. There's a healthy, happy family. There's a really rich, interesting career. You know, we get to regrets, and I'm wondering what kept him awake at night. I don't see it like, fuck, I didn't get to do what? I don't know what that the, 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 the fill in the blank is there. What did he not get to do? That's why I asked this question about if you had 10 days. I, I know that in that 10 days, I would want to tell everybody I love them and try and offer whatever words of wisdom, and I, I might have some request about my legacy. Otherwise. I would hope to just make peace as this is death and, and, and that's it. Yeah, I I can't do that. I need a lot more than 10 days. I do believe many people can. I do believe that there are people that have that inner foundation regardless of their age that yeah, 10 days they can pre-grieve and, and be very, very sad. Well, Um, without knowing any more, do you think Bill Paxton did? No, no. I think resolve. I think peace. Okay. I think I agree. Second to last category, cocktail, coffee, or cannabis. This is where we ask, which one would we most want to do with our dead celebrity? So maybe a question of what drug sounds like the most fun to partake with this person, 
Or another philosophy is that a particular kind of drug might allow access to a part of them we are most curious about. I wrote cannabis, obviously, right? <laughs> How is bit, it obvious? I, I would think. Oh, I just want to fucking hang out and laugh with Bill Paxton over bong hits. Are you kidding me? I mean, I, look, I could also see beer. I think I'd laugh a lot. I think he's got great timing. I think he's got great stories. I don't know if you saw this story about everybody getting dosed with PCP on Titanic. Yes. You know, I'm shooting all night. I'm feeling about as good as you can feel. And he said, well, did you eat the clam chowder? <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, I had a couple of bowls. And, uh, and about that time, I started feeling it. Now I'm starting to witness some bizarre behavior with the crew and stuff. <laughs> so all of a sudden, here's 150 crew members stumbling into the emergency room of a very small hospital at one o'clock in the morning. You see some people are freaking out, some people are Congo dancing, some people are, are euphoric. I knew I was pretty stoned on something pretty bad and I thought, we, me and Jim thought that it was there was a neurotoxin in the clams. But I figured, while they examine all these other hundred people, I said to Jim, I said, Jim, I'm, I'm not gonna hang out here, this is bedlam. I'm gonna wander back down and just drink a case of beer. Which is what I did. uh, That seemed to help me. I want to party with him. And I think like a few bong rips and and some cheap beer and, you know, we're hanging out. So, yeah, I wrote cannabis, obviously. That's my answer. I just want to hang. I don't have curiosity here. I just want to hang. What do you got? I've got the curiosity. It's also through cannabis. I'm being a little sneakier with it, though, because I'm doing the hanging. But I'm also trying to understand how this guy just seems to be in such good flow. It seems like the past is integrated. The future isn't uh, a tremendous worry. He seems to be very happy being this mix of a of a silver and bronze metal. And I, I don't know. I just see a lot of acceptance in this guy. And I want to pick up the cues for it. I don't know that I necessarily need to ask him about it. I might. I might. It depends on the strain. Um but I, I would get that from the hang. You know, this is a this yeah. is a this is like an uncle type of hang with me and Bill Paxton. I think more than it is like the backyard beers with Norm Macdonald. So interesting, Amon. I'm not sure you and I are 100 percent aligned on that on that gratitude piece. I mostly see it. I see more cracks of insecurity, and maybe it's just because we're you know working with a different kind of character who it's a, he's a little bit harder to pin down. Because there is no definitive life story, and there may never be, which is sort of disappointing to me if that's true. Anyway, we've, we had this conversation. Yes. All leading up to this moment, the Vanderbeek, named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said in Varsity Blues, I don't want your life. Ahmed, based on everything we've talked about, do you want Bill Paxton's life? You've got me questioning now on this, like, can we, do we really know this guy's insecurities? Because I was pretty certain I did. I feel like I watched enough. I listened to enough. I, I felt like I was with Bill Paxson over the last several days. You know, this, this part of this question is that we're, we're looking at these people with as much information as we can get, and we study as fast and intensely as we can, but we're still kind of using them as a literary character. You know, do we want this literary character who happens to be a real person's life? And everything I saw, like, I just, I saw enjoyment. I saw so much enjoyment. It just, it seems like he just, he was really enjoying the ride. And I think that guy experienced more joy in an hour of an interview than I sometimes go through in a month. And I really, really liked, envied, and admired that. The 
things he did and saw his contributions as subtle as they were. Like, this is a guy that, you know, because he appeared in such a wide breadth of things, had friendships with so many people for that very reason, touched all these little things. From me watching fish heads at six years old to people wanting to be storm chasers to the Avatar story, this guy was all over everything like his butterfly effect impact on everything is is huge so i think there's significance there and to do that and to enjoy it despite being robbed and by no means am i saying that i want my life to end at at 61 and i would be severely disappointed but you know i wouldn't mind uh or rather i would enjoy i would enjoy all of the rest of it and you know if if i have to chase someone down on a bus to live that it looks like a good life to me. It looks like a significant one. It looks like an enjoyable one and meaningful. So yes, I want your life, Bill Paxton. I mean, I, that's a that's a compelling argument. It's not so much about legacy that I have pause. Dying at 61 is easily the biggest case against saying, yes, I want this life. That does feel young, even if it is a very full and rich and in many ways, as complete as 61 can be. For whatever reason today, I've had a real hesitation about a life as an actor and a life in Hollywood. There's something about his story, as best I see it, that does sort of remind me of the seedy underbelly of Hollywood, that, you know, your ass is on the line as an actor, always. Like, the, who am I? Self-worth, validation. How do I look? How do I sound? Do they want me around or not? I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's something about, like, just the job that even though I am unbelievably impressed with his catalog, I don't think I want that job. I, I, I think what I can't tell with Bill Paxton in a funny way... I, is if he enjoys getting the part or if he enjoys acting more. And I think that there's a small difference there. I think he likes the moment he gets cast and he has a little bit more job security for the next role, and then he'll give it whatever he has to do. But whether or not he's actually having fun on camera, I I mean, I think he, he probably is, but if I had to guess, I almost feel like He's more excited about the whole thing than he is about the art and craft of acting specifically, right? I think I think he can do it, but I don't know that he is more alive, more whatever when the camera's on versus when the camera's off. I would prefer that be the praise comes for having done the job and having like accomplished something unique and creative. I think he was very very good, but I don't think he was great. I think the reason there's not going to be a biography on him or a biopic on him is nobody's going to say this guy was De Niro or Marlon Brando or Daniel Day-Lewis. You know, he was just very good. And something about that falls a little short for me. I don't know why I'm holding this one to a higher standard, but something in here is giving me pause. I don't quite see a creative catharsis in a way that I feel like it needs to happen if you're going to commit yourself to a life of art and creativity. It looks to me more like he committed himself to the entertainment industry. Not necessarily bad, but it's not what I want. So I'm a no. I don't want your life, Bill Paxton. 
I think we've arrived. Amit, you are Bill Paxton. You have died. You've uh, ascended to the heavens. You are meeting St. Peter, a surrogate for the afterlife. You have an opportunity to make a pitch about your great contribution to the stream of life. The floor is yours. I'm so glad you used the phrase stream of life because that is exactly my contribution was I rode the stream of life. I was not a leading actor. I didn't necessarily need to be one, but I was everywhere else. And I said yes to a lot of things. And look at the friendships I made. Look at the experiences I had. Look at the contributions that I not only made to very important movies and TV shows, but the contributions I indirectly made to influencing other people, to having them accept weirdness, to look into different careers. What I did and what I left on this earth was an encouragement to say yes, an encouragement to look at the things and look at the opportunities in front of you. Don't hesitate, follow a heart, say yes, let me in. Famous and Gravy listeners, do you want to participate in the opening quiz where we reveal the dead celebrity? Then send us an email to hello at famousandgravy.com. Recordings usually take just a few minutes, and we love hearing from you. If you're enjoying our show, please tell your friends about us. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Famous and Gravy. We also have a newsletter, which you can sign up for on our website, famousandgravy.com. Famous and Gravy was created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne. This episode was produced by Jacob Weiss. Original theme music by Kevin Strang. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.